0: Glad he's back, Josh. Take it away. Thanks, Brian. Hey, guys. I missed y'all. Been gone for a couple of weeks. I was hoping to come back with this beautiful bronze tan from the beach, but didn't pull it off, did I, Alicia? She's like, yeah, that doesn't look so good, bro. Actually, I remember a few times we were at the beach, and I feel like the the folks I was in. Out of these islands off of Portugal really cool trip and uh I feel like some of the people that were local there they saw me take my shirt off and they were like I've never seen such pasty pale skin before <laughs> ah I need, it was it was very awkward and it's probably even more awkward me telling you the story about that right up here but there you have it Okay, I, I need to stop. I need to get into the text. The Long story short, I'm glad to be back. It was a good vacation. Thanks to Pastor Brian for holding down the fort while I was gone and to all of you guys. And actually, speaking to Pastor Brian, he he, man, finished off Romans last week. If you were here last Sunday, you know that Brian took us through the last paragraph, the doxology that wraps up and closes the whole thing, which means that This sermon series in Romans that we started, I looked at the date precisely, April 22nd of 2021, we officially finished on July 2nd of 2023, two years, 11 weeks. Now, we didn't, you know, with with Christmas and Easter and Palm Sunday, and even Brian, when we first started, was finishing off his series on 1 Peter, so we didn't do uh, that entire two years and 11 weeks wasn't Romans every week, but when you count it all up, it seems to be approximately, give or take a few, I think 85 sermons that we did on Romans. And I say we, because not only were me and Brian preaching it, all of you guys were You were having to sit through it, too. So it was a team effort that we did together over a long stretch. Now, I said two years, 11 weeks, but that's a little bit of a fib because as you're seeing from the slide up here, we've got one more week. It's going to be two years and 12 weeks when it's all said and done, 86 sermons, because even though Brian preached through the end last week we had talked about before I left that when I got back I I was going to take one more week to kind of do a summary kind of a retrospective to remember where we've been in Romans and to see some of the highlights and so that's what we want to do today and we're going to use just that one final verse to kind of launch us into that Romans 16 verse 27 so I'm going to ask if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word This is Romans 16, verse 27. God's word says this. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that you've spoken to us that we even have the privilege of opening the Bible and knowing that it's not just the speculation of man, but it's the very word of God, that we can study it, that we can be changed and transformed by it, that we can hear your voice and your leading in it. And so we thank you that we even have the option to spend two years and 12 weeks studying your word. And pray, God, as we officially conclude it this evening That you would allow this not to be left in the dust once we move on to something new, but the words of the book of Romans and what you spoke through your Apostle Paul in it. We pray that they would continue to stir in our heart and bear fruit. God, we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Okay, so you see the title tonight is The Greatest Hits because that's kind of what I did this week. I I sat down, I was looking back over some of the past sermons that me and Brian did, some of the places and the text that really jumped out to me and it just felt like like I was listening to a Greatest Hits album. And so I want to kind of revisit some of the Greatest Hits for you guys, not to do any really super in-depth teaching on any of it, but just to kind of maybe have fun remembering a little bit. Uh, Some of those Greatest Hits... I'll be honest with you, they have to do with sort of uh, personal (laughs) egg-on-my-face moments that I had. Like, here's a good example. This one's recent, so you all probably remember this. Uh, Remember when I was teaching about the weaker brother and the stronger brother and the dietary restrictions that we saw at the end of Romans 14? And I told that elaborate story about Pastor Brian not eating shellfish and me basically just, like, criticizing him up from the pulpit, and 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 especially at Vespers, I did not make it clear that that was a hypothetical story, a pretend story, and so the very next week, I got lots of emails and phone calls and conversations afterwards, and people be like, does Brian really not eat shellfish for that reason, and they're like, no, it was pretend, and then when I went back to the tape and listened to it, I never said it was pretend, so... It was all on me. So that's one of my sort of memories and greatest hits, so to speak, of Romans. Uh, There was also this one. This is one of my favorites. Romans chapter 9, we had finally arrived at the the scary, terrifying Romans chapter 9, which for like a year, I had forecasted because that was the portion of the book that spoke so directly and frankly about predestination and election and God's sovereignty even in our salvation. The kind of things that, you know, unless you want to get in a fight, you don't talk about at the dinner table or with your friends, right? Right? And so, we were coming into that portion of the scripture, talking about those weighty manners, and I was nervous, but the one thing that made me, like, reassured was the fact that the folks that were going to be hearing the sermon were folks that had been here and been walking through the book of Romans with me. They knew the context, they knew the backdrop, and sure enough, that night that I went to preach Romans chapter 9, there was like four full pews of first-time visitors that had never been here before. And I remember being like, this is perfect. Thank you, Lord. This is the night that all the first-time visitors come as we go through the hardest portion of the scripture. Shout out, I don't see him here tonight, but if the Garcia family's here, shout out to you guys because I know you were part of that group. And, you know, sort of the fun ending of that story is most of those people, like, were apparently really excited that we were willing to preach about parts of the scripture like that. So it turned out to be a good thing but an enduring memory nonetheless. But really, when it comes down to what the true greatest hits are of the book of Romans, it doesn't have anything to do with me or, you know, embarrassing moments in preaching. It has to do with the things that we saw in God's word. Even things that were hard and difficult. That's one thing that stands out to me most about Romans is there were a handful of sermons that were some of the hardest that I ever had to prepare for, texts that were some of the trickiest to present to us as a church and to walk through. One of them is the aforementioned part in Romans 9 about God's sovereignty and election and our salvation. But then one of them was not too long ago, we looked at Romans 13 and how The Bible told us that God puts the governing authorities in our lives, not by mistake or accident, but by his design. That they're his servants. And we owe them honor and respect because of that. Which maybe five years ago wouldn't have been a text that made my heart beat a little faster. But after COVID... And after all the infighting in the church, and I don't mean our church in particular, but just at the church at large about how we are postured towards the government, whew, that was a, a touchy text to walk through. But then, of course, we could go even further back. This was a few years ago now since our Roman study took two years. Romans chapter 1. And I remember the text that stood out to me most there was at the end of chapter one, some of the most direct and striking teaching about sexual sin and in particular homosexuality that we've preached since my time of being at the church. And the Lord had us go through that and wrestle with these words that, believe me, are Not words that would win many friends in the culture of the world today, and yet they're the words that God gives us in the Bible to say, what does this mean? And what should we be thinking about sexuality, and how do we compare that to what our culture says? So all that to say, Romans didn't let us hide from touchy subjects. It took us there, and it said, you've got to talk about this. You've got to think about this. Romans also didn't let us move really quickly through certain subjects. In fact, I was telling the folks up at Paradise this morning, I think I set my own personal record for the amount of sermons in one single chapter. Uh, I'll throw it out. Does anybody have a guess of the one chapter in Romans that we did the most uh, preaching from? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Who said it? Eight. Molly got it back there. Right on. Romans chapter 8, we did 11 sermons. And the reason why is I just kept wanting to go back and revisit these amazing verses about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how he applies our salvation. How he unites us to Christ and how he is constantly preaching to us and reminding us that we are children of the living God. And so instead of just rushing through 20 verses at a time, we went at like a snail's pace through Romans chapter 8. And you probably wanted to throw things at me each week when I was like, oh, we're just going to look at one verse this week. Um, But hopefully, but hopefully you saw why it is that we wanted to do that as we sort of sat in those verses. The final thing that I'm going to say as far as the greatest hits from Romans, is not something that I can isolate just to one particular chapter or one particular verse because it's sort of this broad concept that you can see all through the book and that is repetition of the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace showed up time and time and time and time again no matter what we were talking about in Romans. We could have been talking about submission to governing authorities or spiritual gifts or God's sovereignty and election or Abraham and the story of faith through Abraham. And no matter what it was or how diverse the subject, it was always tethered and anchored to the fact that we are a people that are alive because of God's grace alone. That we've been cleansed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus And that there's nothing in our hands to bring but simply to the cross to cling. We couldn't get away from that. And that is just another reason number, a million one hundred seven thousand nine. Okay, that number was really backwards. But you know what I mean? A really big number of a reason why that we say what we do often at church. And that is you never get past the gospel. Do you realize that? You never graduate from the gospel. The gospel is not the thing that like, oh, that's for new believers when they first come to faith and then a few years in we're studying the higher subjects. No, the gospel is the beginning and end of the Christian life and it's the middle too. No matter what we're talking about or what we're thinking about, we have to start with that truth that on our own, we are more sinful than we even know. But in Christ... We are more loved by God than we could even dare imagine. That's the Christian life. You don't get past that. And Romans didn't let us get past that. It kept bringing us back there. So... Whether it was the hard subjects or the thorough subjects like Romans chapter 8 or the repetition, the gospel. These are some of my greatest hits that I wanted to kind of revisit with you today in this sort of summary of the book. But I also hope that y'all have some greatest hits too. In fact, before I left for vacation, I had kind of this idea that I was going to send out an email and have you guys write to me or call me or text me. Tell me some of the things that jumped out to you from Romans. Not so much like a sermon I did, but a a part of the text that you saw that just, just grabbed you. I mean, that's the beauty of expository preaching, right? As you go through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, what happens is that me as the preacher, but also you as the congregation, we get exposed to parts of God's word that maybe we hadn't read before or we'd read very briefly and never really sat in and we begin to see things and hear things like whoa I've never really considered this before. So like I said this was before vacation so I had vacation brain. I had the idea and I never followed through on it but I kind of still want you guys if you think about it today or this week write me and tell me some of the places that things were jumping out to you. What were your greatest hits from Romans? Because I, I hope that with my reflection on this and maybe some of y'all's reflections that we share together, we'd be able to see that it's the whole church that was blessed and instructed and grew through the study of this text. I told the folks up in Paradise this morning that my, my hope and prayer is that when we sort of finish this book and look back in a few weeks, we would be able to say that, yes, it was a long journey through Romans, but it was fun, it was instructive, it was encouraging, it was challenging, it was unifying. And that not just me sharing with you guys what I remember, but y'all sharing together and with me too, that we'd be able to say it was like that for all of us. Now there's one thing that I want to add to that list that's really why I chose the particular verse I did tonight. Because as much as I want us to be able to say that our study was uh, engaging and instructive and encouraging and challenging and unifying, there is one piece of it that stands above all of that as the most important. And that is when we get to the end of this book and we look back on our study together, we'd be also able to say, our God was glorified. And what we did and how we studied this book and what we learned from it. That's what the last verse that we read today said. It's very interesting that the final word of the book of Romans is the word that tells us that the whole reason for the letter, the whole reason for the church, the whole reason for the gospel, the whole reason for the hope of eternity that you have as a believer is this, To bring glory to the most high God. So his name is exalted in the whole universe. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our triune God, is magnified and glorified. That's the purpose. Let me read it to you again. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So my hope and prayer is that when we think about what we've seen through the book of Romans, when we reflect on what we've learned, we would be able to say that we were encouraged, we were challenged, we were unified as a body, but also our God was high and lifted up amongst this people. We see him more glorious than we did when we started. That happens when we study the Bible because what we are learning, the particulars we're learning about, say, the gospel or ourselves or how to live within the church, they always move from that particular thing to shining the spotlight on the God who created it and made it and showing his glory in it. So I know that probably sounds a little vague and unclear. Let me give you an example. Romans chapter 3 is the, the chapter on this great doctrine we call justification by faith alone. To be justified means to, to be made right before God, to have peace with God. And it tells us that we have justification now with God, and it's simply through faith. So as we studied that portion of the scripture, as I preached on it, we saw a lot of things. We saw the fact that on our own we are sinners and broken and fallen. We can't be justified on our own. We saw that that Jesus shed his blood on the cross. He made a propitiation, that is atonement, with his blood to cleanse us, to forgive us our sins, and to make a way for us to be justified before God. We saw in it that, like I said before, that it's not something that we earn or we work for, but rather it's something that we simply accept by belief and faith. So we're learning all these things about the gospel in Romans chapter 3. But we're also learning something else, at least if we pay close enough attention. We're learning about the God who put all those things in effect. And we're learning that this God is one who didn't insist upon his right to condemn us, but rather he championed love and grace. We're learning that he was willing to make a way for his enemies to live, even at the cost of his own beloved son. And as the spotlight is shining upon all these things we're learning about the gospel, so it slowly begins to turn and shine on the God who put all of it into motion. And we say, how great is our God? Look at what he's done. Look at the way he made. What does that say about him? And the whole universe, the whole cosmos stands dumbfounded as they look in on the gospel and say, can you believe this God and what he's done? How glorious he must be. That's how God is glorified through Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not just cherry-picking that example, I hope you know. And I'll try to prove it by moving on to Romans chapter 4. Romans 4 was the chapter that told us all about Abraham. It told us about how this gospel of grace to be taken hold of by faith isn't some new invention, but it's traced all the way back to Father Abraham and the covenant God made with him. So we're learning in that chapter about the origin story of our gospel. We're learning about the fact that even Father Abraham is is part of the same family that we're part of. That all the promises God made to him are yes and amen and Jesus Christ. We are learning the particulars of all those things. But watch, here the spotlight begins to move again. Now it's shining slowly but surely. Back to the God that set all that in motion. The God who intricately weaved in his wisdom together this story. The God who has vigilantly protected his promise all the way from Abraham, through the people after him, through the kings, through the prophets, through exile, through return, all the way up into its final fulfillment in Jesus Christ. God has protected it even when people tried to mess it up. Even when Abraham tried to mess it up. Even when you and I try to mess it up, God protects his promise of grace. And all that we're learning in chapter 4 is shining the spotlight back on this great God, the one who protects his promise and intricately weaves it through all of history. And once again, all the cosmos stand dumbfounded of saying, what kind of God is this? Glory, glory, glory. He must be more glorious than we can even conceive of. You know, in the, the call to worship uh, that Brian had us do earlier, we looked at Psalm 19. And I believe that psalm is primarily saying that w- what God has created through the heavens and the earth, they, they give testimony because of the way they were made to his glory. But I also think that part of it is they get to stand and witness to what he does for his people and the gospel. And they say, this God is more glorious than we could ever dream of. I could keep going. We could do this same little exercise with every chapter of Romans, every paragraph of Romans. Seeing that whatever it talks about, whether it's mundane, simple sections of the book, or whether hard, uh, tough, maybe stinging sections of the book, it doesn't matter. All of it, if you look closely enough, is going to shine the spotlight back on your God and show you how glorious he truly is. And that's why we end the study with tying this bow on top of it and saying, whatever we took away from this, whatever we learned, whatever we were challenged by, whatever we grew in, please, Lord, make it be something that lifts high the name of Jesus, that brings majesty and honor to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that in his church, he's glorified. feel like I need an amen. Amen. It's so sad when you have to ask for an amen. Amen. (laughs) Well, this is going to be an abrupt shift of gears, but as those are kind of my concluding remarks in Romans, I wanted to give a little bit of a preview of what we're going to study next. So the last two minutes here, um, I'm going to tell you what the plan is but you know like all plans we hold them loosely they're subject to change perhaps Um, but we've got two things that we sort of have in the pipe coming up I'm going to tell you the the latter part first what we're going to start in the fall so starting September-ish we are going to turn to the Old Testament so here's where we've been in the book and then we're going this way right about here to First Kings and Second Kings, and in particular, we're not going to look at the entirety of First and Second Kings, but we're going to look at the uh, sort of the end of First Kings and the beginning of Second Kings, focusing on the life and times of the prophet Elijah. So Elijah is a—he's a wily character in the Bible, a man after my own heart, because I see a lot of myself in him, and I'm sure some of you guys are going to see that too. And in fact, I think one of the opening scriptures we're going to look at in our study of Elijah is going to be in the book of James when it's describing him. And James says, Elijah was a man just like us, meaning he's not some exalted saint up on a pedestal that we can't relate to. No, he's just a regular dude. And I'm excited to be able to walk through the triumphs and the sorrows of his life and see God's grace his glory at play in the life of elijah so we'll be doing that in the fall but what about before then well we're going to have six or seven weeks finishing out summer and here's what we're going to do i prepared a bible study i guess it was last year now that i shared with my tuesday bible study group that ever since then i've just been itching to sort of transform into a sermon series and basically what it is is looking at the books of acts And thinking about and learning, how was it that the early church talked about Jesus? How did they share their faith? How did they go about, you know, quote unquote evangelism? And sort of looking and seeing from the apostles, the early church, and maybe even Jesus himself before his ascension, how did he teach and instruct about how we are? to go about these conversations of hope and faith with people when they ask us questions about what we believe. You know, part of the sort of the motivation for this is last year we we had shared with you guys, I guess it was two years ago now, we had some goals from that we came in and we were praying um, that the Lord would allow the church to sort of see some of these things happen. And The Lord provided a lot of those goals. It was really fun to celebrate. But some of the things that we prayed for didn't come to pass like we asked. And one of them was we had prayed for a certain amount of people, a certain amount of adults to hear the gospel and believe for the first time. And that through the ministry of the church or even just you and your neighborhoods and your communities and your jobs would be able to share the gospel and see people come to faith. That happened some, but not quite as much as we prayed for, and and what that showed me and some of our leadership is that I think myself as a pastor and our church, you know, in general, isn't very strong when it comes to sharing our faith or knowing how to share our faith. It's a place that we need to grow in. And I really appreciate, you know, uh, our friend Chandler Connor, he actually has created these evangelism cohorts that he's put together to help small groups be able to explore ways to grow in and learn and sharing your faith. And that's something that I want to make available to you guys as we talk about these the next few weeks. Even the Bible study I did, I would love to share with other Bible study groups and fellowship groups or whatnot. But at least for the end of the summer, I want to look at those texts that show us how the early church thought about sharing the gospel and see if God might use that to help us grow in our confidence and our burden to see people who are lost come to know Jesus and be saved by him. So that's the plan. Uh, We're going to be looking at sharing our faith in the book of Acts But then in the fall, the life and times of Elijah, like I said, we're holding that loosely, but um, Brian's like, what do you mean holding it loosely? (laughs) I thought that was the plan. (laughs) Okay, we're gonna do it, Brian, don't worry. But that's what our hope is going forward. So if you would join me in prayer now and let's give thanks um, to the Lord for what he's shown us in our study through the book of Romans. Father, We ask and pray that you would give us thankful hearts for the way you've spoken to us through this word. And we also ask and pray, God, that you would be glorified in our reflection on the gospel as we see it in Romans. That that past tense, you were glorified as we walked through this, chapter by chapter, verse by verse present tense you will be glorified as we reflect on it as we speak about it as we apply it to our lives and future tense that you'll continue to be lifted high in our consideration and meditation of your word lord that's what we want is your glory and your majesty to ring out from this place it's in the name of jesus we ask amen